Welcome back to another different episode of Anime Was Not a Mistake. As always, I am your resident vampire survivor, Dan Ryan, joined as always by my co-host. I'm the mysterious eight fish in the Feast of Seven Fishes, Jonathan Kwiatkowski. Ooh, mm. okay. Well, uh, as we promised last week, uh, this week is going to be yet another good movie podcast Good episode. movies, everyone! Yeah! <laughs> Uh, so, uh, to, to, to recap to anyone who was uh, unfamiliar, we already had Sinister Six, yes. in which we, you know, let fate decide mm-hmm. which bad movies we would watch. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and while we've gotten to watch plenty of quality anime films, uh, as well as, like, Asian cinema mm-hmm. over the years, uh, we wanted to showcase good, good movies as good well. Good movies, yeah. Uh, so we started with Indiana Jones uh, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. which was, like, a mutual, easy pick for both of us. Yes. Uh, and then... And being selfish, I chose Blue Velvet as my next pick. You did Blue um, Velvet. Yes, yes. And that was, of course, a critically claimed, uh, you know, kind of genre-defining, yeah. Yeah. you know... Film noir introduction to, like, the other adjacent films that I'm going to pick down the line. Yes. Yeah. It's in the Criterion. It's yeah. it, it's it's mm-hmm. fitting for your for- first choice. Yeah. Uh, my first choice will not be like that. Oh. Uh, instead, one recurring thing today is... You know, you, my co-host, and maybe you, the listener, can decide whether or not this should have been a Sinister Six pick. I don't believe it should have been, that's why I'm bringing it here. Yeah, I feel like I play loosey-goosey with the Sinister Six rules like that sometimes, too, so... That's true, and some some people might be shocked. There are no rules, so, yeah. Um, But I do think that this belongs on Good Movie Podcast, but I will let, you know, Mm. I'll let the discussion happen. Yes. Because that's the, the important thing, is that I really want to discuss this movie. Okay. And that movie is oh boy, uh, none other than 1999's Mystery Men. I've never heard You've of this. Never heard of it. Nope. <laughs> Hot damn! Oh, I was God. hoping you hadn't. I'm scared. What is this? I've never seen this before. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, aiding us in this journey is going to be the drawing board. Uh, he's he's present here at least, and he is decked out in a lot of brand logos mm. like Pepsi and Pennzoil. And, and, you know, Rayovac, I, I didn't know that he had all these sponsorship deals going, yeah, but apparently neither. he's raking in the bucks. Can't share that with us, though, huh? So, uh, as a little intro, <laughs> uh, this episode, again, because the structure of Good Movie Podcast can kind of be a little fluid depending on the movie we're doing, uh, since I assumed that you and nobody else would have heard of this movie, mm-hmm. I decided we're going to kind of follow a similar pattern to how we do anime. It was not oh, a mistake. Okay. Back to the uh, basics. Yeah. To get the info out because mm-hmm. we didn't need to do it for you know indiana jones but and we probably won't need to do it for future indiana jones yeah but something like this kind of needs it yeah i have no idea what we're watching even though the back of the box says the strongest comedic cast ever assembled who's that quote attributed to uh just it's just in the blurb no is it no a radio name. station or yeah. is it just attributed there's, to no there's one? no name okay <laughs> no yeah one. so then then it might have been them no one's that. claimed that then uh, so, Mystery Men is a 1999 superhero comedy film directed by French director Kinka Usher. Uh, besides the movie, Usher's filmography consisted of upscale ads for a wide variety of brands, including the famous Got Milk commercials okay. and uh, the Taco Bell Chihuahua oh, campaign. I'm familiar with their work. We yeah. grew up with yep. we grew up with them. Uh, I believe this was under his House of Usher ad company <laughs> brand. The fall of the House of Usher. Uh, he originally got his big break working as a cameraman for Roger Corman, who okay. has been referenced frequently on a lot of Sinister Six episodes mm-hmm. because he did a lot of, uh, you know, 
maybe movies that had bigger ambitions than their budgets mm-hmm. under canon films and such. I, I, if Star Crash wasn't already a canon film, we probably have other canon films coming on Sinister Six at some point. Mm. Um, another assorted bit of trivia was that he also sold a very expensive palace-inspired house to Ellen DeGeneres. Oh. Uh, like, he had built a mansion that recreated some historic thing, and then Ellen DeGeneres nickel and dimed him and got it for a lower price than she should have, so I... Oh. I, I was... I don't know, the... I feel s- like I'm in a fever dream. <laughs> six degrees of Kevin Bacon here. So, the source material, uh, if you want to call it that... Uh, the film is very, very, very loosely based on Bob Burden's Flaming Carrot comics, I... <laughs> uh, which spun off into a comic about blue-collar superheroes called The Mystery Men. Mm. Uh, the Flaming Carrot himself, who was like a, a take on schlocky, Bronze Age, random-ass superheroes, he was just a guy with a carrot for a head mm. with fire powers, mm-hmm. uh, and he was it was very much a joke, like, uh, who did we grow up with the... The one... Krakatoa from Spongebob? I don't know. The one <laughs> on Warner Bros. Freakazoid? Freakazoid. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Like, it was just for, for comedy purposes. And mm. then in his circle of friends was this Mystery Men team. Mm. And then that got a spin-off comic book title. And then that title was used for this movie. Oh. Um, Bob Burton himself was also apparently on set to answer questions while this movie was being filmed, <laughs> but it still does not resemble his source material. The okay. Flaming Carrot himself does not appear, and the film bears very little resemblance to that comic. I, hmm. I believe uh, the Nostalgia Critic at one point watched this movie, and he had no idea that it was even related to that comic hmm. that he had read as a boy, uh. Uh, because a lot of it's not even identifiable. So, uh, production-wise, in 1997, uh, Mike Richardson, publisher of Dark Horse Comics, uh, pitched the Mystery Men concept to producers Larry Gordon and Lloyd Levin at Universal, uh, mostly selling it on how relatable these characters are, how funny it would be to to put on a movie kind of like this, uh, and... he, you know, noted that Bob Burden, the original author, has, like, this surrealist comedy sensibility, um, while still having identifiable characters. So, this was in, like, Mm mid-1997, and there was a lot, there was, like, a glut Mm. of superhero movies being pitched and licensed off to different studios, Around that time and kind of before that time. Okay. Uh, when, when like, the Batman craze was kind of, like, ramping up. Uh, famously, that's how, like, one studio, like, Sony wound up with the rights to, uh, like, the Spider-Man franchise. Mm-hmm. Because James Cameron was going to direct a Spider-Man film for another studio originally. And, you know, why, th- for things like Marvel, the rights were all, were all over the place because they were just selling them off to studios who would make them. Yeah. But then, by the late 90s, there was even more of this going on, and they took the time to announce tons of other upcoming adaptations, like Blade, which did end up coming out, Virus, Superman Lives, the Nicolas Cage Superman yes, movie. That never was. That never was. Mm-hmm. Uh, X-Men, which did happen, the Fantastic Four, the Hulk... Captain America, The Submariner, Iron Man, Daredevil, Silver Surfer, Hellboy, kinda happened much later, Concrete, Green Hornet, with Seth, that happened with, um... Seth Rogen? Seth Rogen, much Mm. later, um, and then about, like, 26 other titles. Okay. 
but, you know, most of these did not pan out. So, that fall, uh, Danny DeVito, the yep. Danny DeVito, New Legend, Jersey hero. Legend, director, actor, extraordinaire, producer. Uh, was actually in talks for a $13 million deal mm-hmm. to both star and direct, but negotiations broke down over mm-hmm. the film's soundtrack. Mm. Uh, that was such a sticking point for Danny DeVito that he had to walk away, and he was sad to walk away, because this was a very big deal to him. Oh this was a God. project that was this, close to his this heart. This doesn't feel real. <laughs> Did you uh, make this up? Are you pulling a ringing bell on me? He, he said he really <laughs> wanted it, yeah. uh, but he walked away from the project because he just had to, because that, you know, the, the, the negotiation just broke down. Yeah. Uh, so Ben Stiller was then approached to rewrite the script and direct, but he turned down the director position mm. because he was just... Like, this, the scale of this thing seems like it'll be too much. Uh, I don't even want to try it. Uh, eventually, they settled on commercial director Kinka Usher. Uh, Usher had been approached for a lot of Hollywood projects because people were impressed with his, like, sensibilities in those commercials and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, he was kind of discouraged when he saw the original script. He found it was boring. But he thought the premise was good. Mm. So, uh... You know, he he felt that when commercial directors transitioned into film, there was a risk that a lot of the movie would be focused on visuals and not storytelling, and he was determined to prove to people that he could do something character-based, mm. so that is what he attempted to do. Uh, again, Bob Burden was on set for some of the shoot, answering questions that came up about his creations. Um, sometimes, this is a little anecdote, from Levin, uh, they were like, we were kind of stumped in a scene, and we asked him, you know, what he thought, what his take on this part of the story was, and he would write, in like 10 minutes, he would write 30 pages and fax them in, uh, all with lore and background mm-hmm. info for whatever was supposed to be going on, and then it would be, according again, according to this anecdote, 29 pages filled with the lousiest ideas that you've ever read, but Mm. then one page of pure genius, Uh. and they could work with that. Mm. Uh, It was apparently a very, like, fluid filming process with lots of improv Mm. and general chillness between the cast. They had a chance to joke around and riff and and have some fun while they were, you know, and by all accounts, they had a good experience filming it. Great. Uh, The original ending was so unpopular with test audiences uh, that Usher shot a new one with what he calls a big cheer finish. And that's, I, that's as far as I know, <laughs> that like is the ending that a one-piece move if I've ever heard one before. <laughs> the, this movie has a stacked cast. I see! I'm reading the back of the box, Dan! Uh, by 90 standards, by modern standards, I, it has a huge cast yeah. of characters and a lot of other recognizable people in very tiny roles. Hmm. So to list them off, we have Hank Azaria as Jeffrey slash Blue Raja. He is a superhero who throws cutlery. Uh, we have William H. Macy as Eddie the Shoveler, a quarry worker tor- turned amateur superhero okay. who just wields a shovel. All right. Ben Stiller as Roy slash Mr. Furious, an amateur superhero who apparently gains more power as he unleashes his rage. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey Rush, podcast villain extraordinaire, um, as Casanova Frankenstein, (laughs) a criminal genius, and according to the trivia I saw, this was his first made-in-Hollywood movie. Great. Um, I can only wish him the best. 
Uh, Gene Garofalo as yep. Carol the bowler, <laughs> an amateur superhero whose crystal bowling ball contains the skull of her dead father, Carmine oh, the bowler. Gene right. uh, Garofalo had so much fun filming the movie, she actually saved that bowling ball mm. and uses it as a Halloween decoration to this day. That's fun. Uh, Kel Mitchell, yep. uh, fresh off of Keenan and Kel mm-hmm. as Invisible Boy. Coming back for Good Burger 2. Uh, and it, true, an amateur superhero who can only become invisible if nobody is looking. Oh my gosh. Paul Rubens as yeah. Spleen, an mm. amateur superhero whose flatulence makes others faint. Mm. Uh, Greg Kinnear as Lance Hunt slash Captain Amazing. Uh, Champion City's local superhero, as well as a billionaire lawyer as his alter ego. Mm. Uh, Wes Studi as the Sphinx, a mysterious superhero who can use his mind to cut firearms in half. Mm. Uh, Claire Forlani as Monica, a waitress and Roy's love interest. She was apparently supposed to have a much bigger role in some other cut of the movie. It's not present here, but that's, I would assume, why she's listed so far up. Uh, Eddie Izzard as Tony P. P. Casanova Frankenstein's right-hand man Mm. and leader of the Disco Boys gang. (sighs) Uh, Tom Waits says Dr. Heller, a uh, a mad scientist who makes non-lethal weapons for Uh. the Mystery Men. Uh, We got Artie Lang as Big Red, leader of the Red Eyes gang. Sounds like something out of an anime. Uh, We got uh, Jennifer Lewis as Lucille, Eddie's long-suffering wife. (laughs) Additionally, Corbin Blue and Philip Bolden appear as Butch and Roland, the Shoveler and Lucille's sons. Uh, we also had Mark composer Mark Mothersbaugh mm-hmm. uh, appears as the leader of a band in the beginning of the film. Uh, a then unknown Sung Kang makes a brief appearance. <laughs> Dane Cook, a very mm-hmm. young and unknown Dane Cook, mm-hmm. appears in the movie. Doug Jones, who would go on to obviously play a play lot of like motion yeah. capture roles that yeah. we love. Vincent Bowman and Dana Gould also make appearances as the Waffler, Pencilhead, Son of Pencilhead, and Squeegee Man. All these other mm. B-tier superheroes that appear. So, a shitload of people yeah. who even years later would have been very, very expensive to get in a movie. Mm-hmm. A- any movie yeah. at all. So, other trivia, and this one was one of the most shocking things I, I came across while researching. Mm. The song All Star is frequent by Smash, Smash Mouth, Mouth. Yeah. is frequently used throughout the movie, and it appears on the film's soundtrack. Okay. The song's music video actually features characters and imagery huh. from Mystery Men. And I thought that was like a direct thing for um, either Shrek or... Well, it was... It was Scooby-Doo. It was made... In connection to this movie, it laid dormant, and then Shrek brought it to the public consciousness. So people didn't notice it when it (laughs) came out here, but then Shrek revived Mm. it and catapulted it to the stardom that we know it, we know All-Star to have today. And it does make sense because All-Star has like a zero to hero (laughs) motif, and that's what this movie is is all about. So uh, it was truly shocking. Mm. So the release... And the reaction. Yeah. Universal delayed the film's release by one week in order to avoid competing with the Blair Witch Project. Ooh, another, another favorite of yours. Yeah. yeah that's true. Mystery- Not even Book of Shadows, the original? The original. Wow. Uh, Mystery Men grossed about $10 million on its opening weekend, thus ranking number six at the domestic box office. Oh. Uh, so its worldwide gross ended up being $33 million, which compared to its $68 million Oof, budget. So flop. Made yeah, it a true was, yeah, box office yeah. bomb. Well, we've seen good flops before on this podcast. We have. We, we yeah. don't judge by the money you make. 
It currently has a 68% All on right. Rotten Tomatoes okay. based on 104 reviews. Way higher than I thought it was going to be. And uh, the site's consensus reads, Absurd characters and quirky gags are brought to life by a talented cast, providing this superhero spoof with lots of laughs. So mm. nothing negative in there. Uh, and then on Metacritic, the film has a 65 out of 100, uh, showing generally favorable reviews. Okay. Uh, a lot of the reviews are kind of all over the place for this movie. Yeah. I, I just wanted to showcase some of them because... Like, they're a little biting, but they're funny. Yeah, there's uh, wit in there. Kenneth Turin of the Los Angeles Times wrote, Watching Mystery Men is a bit like sitting next to a brilliant person at a dinner party okay. who just won't shut up. Well, you've been there, Dan, every time you record the podcast. Of course. Yeah, so. uh, because the film is so self-conscious and, like Mr. Furious and Friends, has a tendency to try too hard, it's an effort you end up admiring more than completely loving. Mm. Could be oh, a yeah. take, a yeah. valid take. Yeah, valid. Um, so, and then they're they're citing how certain parts of this movie might give you vibes of Blade Runner, Brazil, and Buckaroo Banza, uh, Banzai. You know, I was gonna say Brazil. I was getting a vibe just from the cover of it. I was gonna get that with Scott Pilgrim and Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then, let's see here. Newsday uh, wrote. Mystery Men manages to both exalt the terminally weird and the frighteningly mundane with such flamboyant good spirits that you overlook its occasional dead zones and dull patches. Uh, try as it might to prop up its static plot, the movie is more comic review than action comedy. Uh, viewed within these parameters, Mystery Men is as satisfying as a heaping helping of Abbott and Costello shorts, okay. and much smarter than the average doofus blockbuster, mm. uh, whatever that would be at the time. Okay. Um, Dumb and Dumber, perhaps. The cast was ultimately very enthusiastic about, you know, making the movie. Which is always an important ingredient to have when you're making it, that your cast Certainly. is passionate about what they're... You yeah. don't want them miserable, no. and they have been open, like, whenever they're asked about it, if it <laughs> somehow comes up, they do seem to be open to a sequel, okay. but due to the amount of money that this movie lost, they I don't know if there's a market for, for that. that. Uh, so, another point of discussion today... This film might be a cult classic. Mm -hmm. It's called a cult classic in a lot of circles. Mm. Uh, when you Google it, as I did, you're going to see some articles that are calling this like a, a campy cult classic of the late 90s, a hidden gem that was, was forgotten in the superhero, uh, you know, onslaught that we got. And then other things are just like, this was a movie that occurred. <laughs> it happened. Mm. It's there. Um, but it does seem to have enough of a dedicated fan base that it does get some appreciation because Alamo Drafthouse actually okay. does an annual screening. All right, all right, all right. So people do care about it. So why this movie? Mm -hmm. uh, similar to how you have planned certain amounts of serendipity with your films yes. and synchronicity. Yes. Uh, I actually managed to pull something off here <laughs> in connecting this with Batman and Robin. Oh, yeah? Because we recently watched that for the Sinister Selection pick, mm -hmm. and it should be noted, it must be noted, that Batman Forever and Batman and Robin would have been the most prominent superhero movies in people's minds at the time when this film okay. came out. Okay. So, you know, maybe they would have had some leftover street cred from the Christopher Reeve superhero movies, mm -hmm. and those first two Batman movies, maybe even less so Batman Returns, if we're talking in the 90s itself. Mm -hmm. um, 
But literally, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin would have been the go-to examples. So, as lots of people have noted when this film was being talked about, superhero movies in the 90s were not the cultural dynamo that modern audiences know them to be now. They weren't? (laughs) It's very interesting if you try to introduce this film to people today, because... The, the superhero economy was nowhere close to what it was. Mm-hmm. Again, those the Joel Schumacher Batmans were the only examples. So if you thought of a superhero movie, you thought of a campy, bloated action nightmare that had no story and yeah. was just to sell toys. Mm-hmm. And that was that was what they were. You assumed thought of to Brenda be. Vaccaro going wow 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 wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. It, in that sense, I, th- I just think it's really interesting that Mystery Men is a parody of a type of superhero movie that no longer exists. Oh, it, is, it is quite literally parodying a, like, only five or six year era of mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. and it came out right at the ass end of that era, and, you know, no one was really around to appreciate it because... It, it was it was just such a short thing that it was making fun of. Um, it, like, I would compare that to something maybe like the kind of, uh, I want to say, sway that the Austin Powers movies had. Okay. Because the Austin Powers movies, when they came out, they were making fun of, you know, like the... James Bond. The 70s. The classic spies. Yeah. Like Roger Moore era yeah. James Bond yeah. movies where things got campy. There were lots of gadgets for everything. Mm-hmm. He was sleeping with everyone and there was no dramatic tension sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not that those movies aren't good. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch some James Bond movies sure. someday. We'll on have this to podcast. invite Matt over. <laughs> but Austin Powers made fun of those tropes and cliches so hard that multiple directors have noted that they can't go back to them. Yeah. When when the James Bourne franchise started, and when later on the James Bond franchise with Daniel Craig started again, they were like, we have a list of things that we can't touch anymore mm. because Austin Powers made them look too stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't do it anymore. Uh, so, Mystery Men obviously does not have that example because that era ended anyway. Yeah. Those cliches ended... Five minutes it later. It exists in a vacuum, I suppose. Yeah, so, like, what what would happen if you showed this movie to a more modern audience? Like me, who's never heard this before or seen this. I know nothing about this film. This one, I'll probably need your help with because mm. you might, you know, I might have forgotten some things to compare it to. But this movie does a lot of things that more recent movies and television series have done probably better into more acclaim. Mm. Uh, I'm thinking of things like The Incredibles. Uh, insofar as, uh, you know, a, a hero doing something with a villain or doing something with a villainous plot in order to make themselves look better, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Certain parts of the MCU, like how, you know, the, the limits to which superheroes can operate and the difference between, like, street level and, and global superheroes, things like the boys, in that it's a very cynical take on the superhero world but the boys leans into it for like dark comedy and then this movie just leans into it for like absurdity just because mm-hmm. it's it is a straight comedy uh and even stuff i would argue like my hero academia okay because I, yep in my hero academia the like public opinion is a major aspect of the superhero like a superhero's career you need to have public support you got to be like brand friendly and if you don't you're 
quote-unquote career as a crime fighter is going to fall behind other people. Mm -hmm. So these are all tropes that, that other things have gone on to probably do better, but this movie tried them pretty early. Okay. But we'll see, we'll see, you know, I'll take your opinion as to how well you think it does that. Yes. Another reason is that there is a lot of effort put into this movie, mm. considering that it's a parody and or a dark comedy. When we open on it, when we get it fired up and going, one of the comparisons... They Howard the Ducked it, didn't they? Yeah. It, one of the comparisons <laughs> that, that was in that above review compared it to Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. This film is set in Champion City, which is a stupid cyberpunk model, Coruscant-looking, future, dystopian New York City mm-hmm. parallel. Mm-hmm. And they did not need to go that hard with it. Okay. You you go on to street level, and there's like, it's, it's delightfully claustrophobic. There's like ironworks and railroads and, and buildings, like hanging over the street there's neon signs in all different kinds of languages because this city is like a melting pot Mm -hmm. and it like it feels like in making fun of the gotham city from batman and robin they went harder than batman and robin did and created what i would argue is is a beautiful like a a weirdly beautiful Mm. sci-fi setting there's zeppelins there's (laughs) Like, stuff out of cartoons, yeah. but it is just a... I'm like, god damn, this movie did not need to try hard, that yeah. hard mm-hmm. in in making this. And I don't feel, like, outside of maybe, like, Pixar parodies, that we get comedy movies like this okay. very much. We don't get, like, high-concept... Satire, comedy, yeah. parody, yeah. Because, okay. like, I, I would argue that at some point it switched over to, instead of parodying a certain type of story we're parodying like we're just putting an actor's personality into this yeah so and it's very hit or miss with those movies too it like is it, beca- it becomes a little too much cloying yeah sickly you know the jokes they don't land well they don't age well or they're all in the trailer yeah like i'm thinking of like this movie is just melissa mccarthy as a spy well that, and... that movie's great though well i'm just saying but <laughs> there were much worse examples yeah, we can of hope that. for a spy sequel um, but yeah, so it, it feels like this is, there's so many huge talents in this well, movie. maybe Barb they... and Star would be close, right? That was kind of, I don't know what, what that was would be. was that a parody of? Like, was that a parody of Florida people? Or, I, yeah, or yeah. New Jersey people going to Florida? I forget. I would say real life. I... Hmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. That's just what comes to mind in recent, like, comedies that were weird and abstract that hit well. But uh, to that end, I originally saw this movie on TV as a youngster, pre-internet days. Of course, age-old story. Like it was like a it was like a hit and run. I was like, what? <laughs> what was that? Like I I didn't get there in time to see the title. I just caught the end of it on like the Sci-Fi Channel or something, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what the fuck is this weird and wacky cyberpunk superhero movie <laughs> comedy thing? And that, why am I hard? That was airing it. <laughs> It was airing at, like, 2 p.m. on a Saturday. Like, what was that? What was that magical thing? And years later, I went back and searched for it, found that it was Mystery Men, watched it again. And the rest is history. rest is history. Um, Or mystery. But I don't see it discussed very often at all. On a lot of podcasts, on a lot of movie review things. Um, But because of that, I'm curious to see your take on it. Yes. Yes. Uh, You know... So, so my plan is, uh, we're gonna go watch it, we're gonna toss it in, we're going to gas up the, uh, the PS5 mm-hmm. and watch this 
Blu-ray copy I recently purchased. Um, We're going to, you know, see how it goes. Then, when all is said and done and we've recounted the plot, you can decide whether or not this was better suited for a Sinister Six (laughs) pick. I hold the power. Um, And I also have a little rating system planned based on Pepsi logos uh, where you can rank different aspects of the movie. Awesome. I love so, that. Yeah. Uh, should, you, should we uh, get into it? Yeah. I mean, I'm always looking for clues. <laughs> yeah, we have a little we have a little cyberpunk device on the table next mm, to us here. Don't touch that. That's a soundboard, dear. <laughs> it it, it, it kind of looks like drawing board is giving an interview to the media. Oh. Well, why don't Why don't they ask us anything? I don't know. I feel like we ever never had anything good to say, Dan. <laughs> uh, it's because he's the handsome one. Yeah. Mm. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, we are back, everyone, to uh, the third installment of Good Movie Podcast, and uh, we're back not a moment too soon, because this ancient Blu-ray, its core temp, was heating up to supernova levels. My PS5 was ready to explode, I'm sure. So it was functional, but uh, we just watched Mystery Men. Uh, any initial thoughts that you would like to give? I'm not gonna yuck your yum, Dan. Okay. What am I to define a good movie versus a bad movie on Good Movie Podcast? It may not be my cup of tea, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure I will show a few things musically inclined that may not be your top favorites as well. Okay. Um, overall, I thought it was fine. Mm -hmm. It was innocuous. It was innocent. It was inoffensive at some points. And that might be its problem. Yeah. It, uh, genuinely, that might be one of its issues, is that it is innocuous, and it doesn't really make any statement no. whatsoever. No, it's completely neutral. It's not, like, the best zero-to-hero story mm-hmm. that even would have probably come out in this stretch. No, nope. it felt a little bit longer than it should have. It's definitely a little, like, the length is one thing that, yeah. uh, you know, if I were to deduct points from it, it's that, because mm-hmm. we kind of get, like, near the end, Mr. Furious, played by Ben Stiller, gets, like, two separate uh, heroic BSOD moments uh, that really just stretch out that third act longer than it needs yeah. to be. Yeah, um, And you could tell where this plot line is going the entire time. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was piecing together puzzles. I get that it's supposed to be tropey and call back on those tropes. Uh, the cast, they're making the most with what they got. They are. They are. Um, and they seem to be having a good time, thanks to your research and, you know, the actions that are on screen. So it's good that these guys are having a good time. In another comparison, uh, this was, I, because I must have forgotten to mention this one in, in later things that did this better, arguably Megamind. Mm. I always forget about Megamind. Yeah. But I've Megamind, only seen that, like, a handful of times anyway. It, it, it also did the thing, like, where, uh, you know villain gets bored in this case it was a role reversal and then they end up creating their own monster uh and we have like a fake out yeah death but in this one it's a real death mm-hmm. uh so uh, very weird parallels again it's like you show this to people and you say oh this is making fun of superhero movies mm. i don't think that would register with anyone today i think people would look at this like oh this is a really weird comedy movie that yeah. came out in 1999 um but uh 
probably have a lot to unpack as we go through the plot. So, mm-hmm. of course, as always, chime in as you have of observations. I've got pages and pages of notes. Um, so, we we open on Champion City, a Blade Runner-esque cyberpunk <laughs> dystopia. Yep, the set uh, design, as you said, is phenomenal. Giving me Batman yeah. and Robin without the nipples. Again, it's just, uh, it is it is a surprising amount of effort yeah. into this set design. And I know you care about that a lot. I do. Especially and when it comes to superhero sci-fi cyberpunk yeah and it's it's got like all of these little details that for a goofy comedy they didn't need to put in like every single little piece of technology and signage on the street has stuff written in like english spanish japanese, uh, japanese like all like all, because it's a multilingual city so all of that's there the phones every entrance the diner the menus it's all accounted for there um, but we we zoom in specifically uh, after passing a few billboards of Captain Amazing mm-hmm. doing some shilling and and telling people to not uh, crime is bad. Yeah, we zoom in on the old folks' home. And where... initially, this is where the weirdness, the camp, the Howard the Duck levels. Yes, uh, the old folks are having this weird party, conga line themed yeah. cabaret i don't even know how to describe it it's like a poison ivy act that didn't make it to the final cut it yeah it's just it's just a yeah. a swanky party at the old folks home mm-hmm. and there's again even within that there's like little tiny sight gags yeah. that that are only for this scene like the bar is serving like pills and ointments yeah, yeah like they're old people serving milk of magnesia to them yeah there's like one old man with like a like a a brain shock device mm-hmm. set up to him mm-hmm. to, to like help him uh Move. like yeah. Yeah, so function. all these little tiny sight things that serve no purpose no one but they're see. just in there yeah. Um, but, uh, the, the, the old folks are soon, you know, disrupted by the attack of the red-eyed gang, uh, led Cillian by- Murphy? Led by, not, <laughs> tragically not Cillian Murphy, it is, uh, Artie Lang, yeah. a comedian who's quite famous for his coke habits in recent years. Yeah. Uh, Explaining the red eyes. But at this time, he would have still been, like, a fairly, like, B-tier comedian, so he's leading the red-eye gang, and they come in very Batman and Robin-esque. They're just guys with red goggles, yeah. like the Underminer, mm-hmm. and they're stealing, stealing anything the old people value. Their teeth, yeah. their eyeballs, their glass eyes, their jewelry. Fake teeth, jewelry, yeah. like candy, cake, like everything. <laughs> uh, and the main characters, who do not have a team name at this point, arrive on the scene. Mm-hmm. And they're, of course, Ben Stiller as Mr. Furious. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hank Azaria as the Blue Raja. The Blue Raja. Uh, and I'm, I'm forgetting his William name, William H. Macy. William H. Macy, <laughs> probably one of the most prestigious people in this film. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, is the shoveler. Mm-hmm. And they do their best to try to fight some of these gang members, but uh, the shoveler keeps missing. I think he hits Mr. Furious at some yeah. point. Hank Azaria is throwing forks into people's asses that he shouldn't be. Yes, and Mr. Furious tries to get mad because that's apparently where his power comes yeah. from. But he can't quite do it, and he just belly flops onto the floor mm-hmm. uh, while the old people are, are being, you know, stolen yeah, from. Yeah, and then I have to bring up my other point. I don't think Ben Stiller can lead a movie. Valid point. He's never made me feel. He's never really made me laugh. And that's the thing, though, is in the Rubik's Cube mm-hmm. of this movie, this is before Ben Stiller was, like, yeah, in everything. <laughs> this was, this was like, he was headlining this movie, and this is pre that early 2000s, you know, 
where Ben Stiller was just in five movies a year, and mm-hmm. they were all, like, the highest-grossing comedies for a little stretch. And now, that day is long gone. I don't think the Zoomers will understand yeah. how often Ben Stiller was in crap mm-hmm. back in the day. But he was, but this was at the beginning of that, mm-hmm. so it didn't slow him down. Yeah, when we sped him up. But I'm not sure what people would have seen in him like necessarily. activated my rage seeing him here. <laughs> yes, you, yeah. So, uh, the day is ultimately saved when Captain Amazing, played by Greg Kinnear, shows mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Uh, he With is his a... sponsorships decorating his ensemble. Yeah, he, he's kind of dressed like the guy from Spy Kids 3D. Yeah. Uh, he's got a jetpack. Presumably he has super strength, and he you know, just flies in and makes very, very short work of the Red Eye gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, notably, his agent-slash-publicist is there, who comments, like, oh, you did a good job, pretty clean, you know, work here, and then they are escorted out to the press. Uh, we get, this, you know, little tiny touches of, of Car- Captain Amazing, like, he shoves a kid aside yeah. who wants his autograph. He throws a guy in a wheelchair off to the side instead of, like, you know, thanking all of the, the, the citizens and yeah, stuff. It's all stuff we've seen now, but you're telling me that this started that trend. So, yeah, yeah. It, which, and he and then he ultimately most, spends most of his time talking to the press. Yep. Uh, and the press is mostly focused on the fact that apparently, without his knowledge, Pepsi has dropped their endorsement of him. So mm. he's, he's lost that. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, back in in the the, the old folks banquet hall, uh, you our know, trio picks themselves up. Yeah, yeah, they're having confidence issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mister Furious is like, "Don't put him on a pillar. Put ourselves on a pillar. Mm-hmm. Like we did good work too." Mm-hmm. Um, and then they are offered a business card by a Mister Doctor Heller, mm-hmm. who was just there because he's got a thing for grannies, and he promises them that he could manufacture them like weapons to give them an upgrade mm. uh william h macy kind of takes his card and he's like i'll just you know when we have fans we have fans you know there's no need to discourage them yeah. uh you know whatever I'll, I'll take the card yep. so outside they you know they they kind of get into a little tussle with the police who are like mocking the fact that they didn't really do anything mm-hmm. and mr furious is about to go off on them but his buddies kind of pull him back uh, because apparently they fear what happens when his rage hits its, like, boiling Either that point. or it's just embarrassing. Yeah, it, well, it is embarrassing. Uh, but back in Captain Amazing's limo, his publicist is kind of explaining the Pepsi situation to him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, in order to get big companies to sponsor you, you gotta have big, you know, stories. And big stories require big fights. You haven't had a big fight in a while because all of the notable supervillains that you could face are either dead in exile or locked up for life Mm -hmm. and that has kind of put him captain amazing in this situation where the only headlines he gets are when he you know saves the old folks home Mm -hmm. and that's it and that's causing a problem because captain amazing cares about his brand sponsorships um but they uh you know he, he starts to think on what he could do to kind of get the publicity back i need a big villain and the first one that comes to mind uh, well after the list of those who are dead or gone uh is casanova frankenstein who was an insane mad scientist who is currently locked away in uh like the arkham asylum that they have there uh and and captain amazing clearly gets an idea to kind of put something on with this uh so then we uh, kind of see our trio at their diner uh, well, that is oh. after this next oh, okay. thing. Okay, never mind. Um, 
we are at uh, Casanova Frankenstein's parole hearing at the big Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the parole board is basically unanimous with keeping him in jail, except for a uh, Harleen Quinzel-type psychiatrist. <laughs> Who gets three lines. Yeah. Who's like, you know, no, I think he's cured, I think he won't do villainy anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but they're going to, to re-sentence Casanova Frankenstein when the obvious alter ego of Captain Amazing enters. It's Lance Hunt, he's just wearing glasses, he's a, a big-time yeah. lawyer and board member. And he's like, I just had dinner with my best pal, Captain Amazing, and he wrote this heartfelt letter explaining that Casanova Frankenstein should get a second chance because we are a like compassionate city and we we care. And, and it's we just as groceryless. It is, yeah. and uh, because of that, you know, with Captain Amazing vouching for him, the parole board sets Casanova Frankenstein free, and then he menacingly drives back into Champion City. Mm. Then we cut to our goobs in their diner. Yep. Each table has, like, a little stupid, like, Fallout TV built onto it mm-hmm. that is showing, you know, Captain Amazing's toothpaste ad. Mighty uh, Whitey. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's got baking soda and everything. Um, and Mr. Furious is trying to, like, figure out what to do for them. He's thinking of, like, pooling their money to buy a publicist because they need someone to boost their image. But the shoveler points out that they don't really get any victories yeah. to begin with. What so are they going to publish? Nothing to publicize. And, you know, there's also other little quirks that they fight about. Like, the Blue Raja doesn't wear blue, mm-hmm. and he only throws forks and spoons because knife throwing would be a separate lethal skill set that mm-hmm. he doesn't want to do. Um... And, you know, we, we they kind of depart uh, after Mr. Furious has a little spat with the waitress. Because, again, his whole thing is that he has to pretend to be pissed off all yeah, the time. Monica the waitress. Monica the waitress. The love interest. Can't you feel the chemistry, Dan, between these two? No. And uh, apparently, again, as I said in the opening, I think her role in the, the original <laughs> script was supposed to be bigger. Like, there was we were supposed to get more with her, mm-hmm. but... It doesn't show in the final No, product. nothing. I felt nothing for them together. So they, uh, you know, they, they're they heading back. We get, of course, the split the bill scene yeah. where they all have to split the bill evenly despite Blue Raja only getting a it's salad. Yeah. Uh, We've had that before. When they, they spot uh, the Disco Boys. Yeah. And the Disco Boys are, are one of whom is played by Eddie Izzard. Mm-hmm. And they are two famous criminals who, it's quite surprising, are back in town. They had been gone for the some time. The boys point. are back in town now. And uh, Mr. Furious is determined to follow them and stake them out. You mean Mr. Pistoff. Mr. Pistoff. That's how I refer to him. But uh, the Shoveler and Blue Raja both have to get home. <laughs> to their lives. Like, uh, so Mr. Furious kind of does a little ramble to himself about how he's a lone wolf riding alone. And, you know, heads off to follow them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Shoveler returns home in his station wagon. <laughs> With Jennifer, Lu- uh, Jennifer Lewis. Yeah, yeah, well, he runs over Chomper oh, from yeah. Land Before Time. Yeah. Yep. And then he returns home to Jennifer Lewis. And I'm like, his, Jennifer Lewis, what are you doing here? His I loving the, wife. I love the mixed family going on here, but come on. And uh, he, he comes home. <laughs> you shovel well, darling. Yeah, you shovel well, but that's not enough to make you a superhero. <laughs> uh, but the shoveler's kind of boosted because his son does believe in him. <laughs> uh, even, shovel. Even though he, his, his only skill is shoveling uh. really nicely. Uh, Blue Raja is also at home practicing fork throwing where his doting mom... Like comes in. Are you doing marijuana? Because he's like burning incense. uh, And then 
we kind of get that Hank Azaria is is doing a fake British accent mm-hmm. for most of the doing time. Doing a fake accent, Frank Azaria. Huh? Yeah, well, yeah, Hank Azaria. <laughs> and the thing with Hank Azaria is that the sense that I've gotten from his career trajectory, oh, I only know him majorly from the Birdcage and the Simpsons. Well, yeah, yeah, no, obviously, like that in the Simpsons, I think remains profitable <laughs> for him. But it, I think it was probably this movie. Followed by his performance in Godzilla the mm. next year, mm. or maybe even the, the same, same year, year. What a year. That I think really derailed any chance of stardom that he had. Because I've seen interviews where he talks about, like, Godzilla and how he was excited to have that role. Mm. But then he, he had to play, he plays like the most New York New Yorker in history in that movie. And I would assume he's playing, like, a dumb guy there, and he's playing this character here with with a silly accent and everything. So he's, you know, I think one-two punch, it probably probably slowed down his trajectory in terms of starring in movies. Um, But, but yeah, so so we kind of see that these guys have kind of pathetic, you know, or at least boring lives lives that they don't want to go back to. I found their lives more interesting than Ben Stiller's story. Well, yeah, well, Ben Stiller, but his character notably doesn't have a personal life. Yeah. He, he only he works at the junkyard, yeah. um, and that's like his day job. Mm. And we get the famous uh, his his boss lady <laughs> junk it junk it, uh, and we get like a little Chekhov's gun here where it's like go take down that jeep out there. Yeah. And the you know Ben Stiller explains that oh that's like an old surplus military jeepney jeep or something. Yeah. And it's indestructible, I can't, you know, just take it apart with a crowbar, but she's like, junk it! And, yeah, they almost get into a fight, but he does not come out victorious there. Mm. So, um, Casanova is back home, he's, he's, uh, pruned and proper now. In his disco room and etc. Well, the disco boys have their wing of the, of the, The uh, mansion, uh, which is disco-themed. And he promises them that, you know, he's, he's working on a plan to kind of take over the city, or at least destroy it and make them see things from his perspective mm-hmm. uh so then we also see that the psychiatrist from the like um arkham asylum scene is working for him and she's dressed in like a little devil costume yeah. like she's dressed like a uh, maleficent for <laughs> for that one scene yeah. wish uh, she had a character but and right away he presses a little remote button and blows up the asylum mm-hmm. Uh, presumably killing all of those doctors at that parole hearing. Uh, And Captain Amazing immediately arrives because he knows who did it, and he's like, okay, I was hoping that you wouldn't do anything immediately. And then, like, apparently knows all his tricks, like disable your drink mixer, your your slippers and stuff. Like the the darts in your, the poison darts in your slipper, the little, uh, like, extendable blade inside your drink stirrer. Hosting the podcast, yes. Exactly. Uh, they know all the tricks. Or we do chitty chitty bang bang and I constantly miss you and I'm like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, uh... Oh, you. you do. Uh, but the, the... Casanova Frankenstein is, is kind of like... Messing with them and mm-hmm. Captain Amazing obviously was hoping that they were going to have a very drawn out... Oh, dramatic. Public yeah. fight mm-hmm. again to kind of restore some publicity to him. But uh, Captain Amazing, while he's gloating, takes the remote detonator out of the trash. It sprays him with, like, chloroform spray and knocks him out, which is a trick that Casanova Frankenstein had not done before. Mm. Uh, So Captain Amazing is uh, imprisoned in the basement basement (laughs) in a big 
supervillain chair, yeah. and he's got a laser device directly above his head. He's like, I'm gonna kill you tomorrow night. I'm like, oh, yeah. the stakes could never be lower, but whatever. Yeah, tomorrow yeah. at midnight, yeah. you're gonna get vaporized uh, along with the rest of the city. Should I care? No. With this device. Yeah. Um, oh, and then that's when we get the, Auto uh, Sally. Yeah. yeah. With yeah. The, the, the stress ball that Junk saved it. her life. So, uh... Based on Mr. Furious's intel, uh, the Mystery Men sneak into Casanova Manor, just the three of yeah. them, uh, but the Disco Boys catch them and soundly beat them. They just kick their asses and I mean, and they don't kill them. everyone. These villains aren't even that bad. They're just, like, stealing from old people all we see and kicking these losers' asses. Well, yeah, they're yeah. campy villains. Like, I like the villains like, more. Yeah, that's, like, there's, there's more interesting stuff there. Uh, I like Big Tobacco, who shows up later, because that I seems like, the like a... <laughs> Uh, but they get their asses kicked and they're just allowed to leave because they're not taken seriously as a threat. Uh, they go back to the diner and Mr. Furious makes a failed attempt to flirt with Monica again. Just awkward. Awkward all around, man. And I know it's supposed to be awkward, but the dialogue is... Yeah. It's like Batman and Robin, Uma Thurman Thurman dialogue. (laughs) No, it is. It is. For the the most part, it is. Uh, but at this, like... Most recent diner scene, the three goobs decide that what they need to do is recruit other superheroes to their cause, Mm -hmm. uh, because if Casanova Frankenstein has, like, an army of villains there, then they need, like, an army of heroes themselves. And I have to ask you, Dan, before this audition takes place, what's our own stupid superhero power? I've got two. Should I go first while you dwell? Alright, I've got two names for myself. One is Exit Stage Left. Mm-hmm. And I'm only able to punch and kick people in the stage left direction. <laughs> that so, is perfect. <laughs> yeah. And the second one is the soloist. I sing solo, but you can't hear me. <laughs> oh, those are those are perfect. Yeah, I know. Better than this movie. And then, like, I would get like a mic and like shatter glass, and I'd be like, finally, someone could hear me sing. But I do like exit stage left because it'd be like it has to be stage left, so it's actually your right, and then people would get confused. Yeah. So yeah. I, I do like that. Like you didn't punch me that direction. Yeah, I could. Uh, I could be the protractor. I can oh, draw a boy. perfect circle, yeah. uh, but I can only really like apply it in very like hyper specific. But fight protractors scenarios. don't draw circles, Dan. Do they? Isn't that the? That's a the, compass. Compass. The compass. Then. <laughs> what, what, well, that could be the name. I could yeah. be like. But, but protractors <laughs> don't draw circles. You exactly. idiot. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's same diff. Wow. Yeah. Well, we should have been in this movie then. Um, but then, yeah, so they, they, the first person they go to recruit is, uh, fresh off Keenan and Kel, Kel Mitchell. Doing a great job. I mean, doesn't get that much to work with, but playing, like, the ingenue, young, eager superhero buddy. And he gets, like, wow. one of, I think he gets one of the funnier lines in which, the movie. Which is, is it, he, is he's it here like, yet, or? No, he, he's, he, <laughs> no. The, the three heroes show up at his apartment. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And he's yeah. like, hey, dad, I'm going into my room with these three strange men. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the dad's like, eh. Yeah, it <laughs> got me, like, I was in the other room getting alcohol because I needed it. <laughs> and I gave a chuckle. Uh, but Invisible Boy, uh, his power is to turn invisible, but he can only do so while other people aren't looking. And then when he sees himself again, or other people notice him, he turns visible once more. Yes. Uh, so then, like, he kind of tags along with the group after he gives them, like, a, like, an uplifting speech that Mr. Furious doesn't like. Uh, but he joins them at the diner. Mm-hmm. And while they're discussing how they can go about auditioning new superheroes... <laughs> Uh, Paul Rubens 
the late Paul Rubens yep. shows up as the spleen. Always excellent. Can we please bring Pee Wee Big Adventure to the show at some point? We definitely point? can. Yeah, because yeah. I need to see it. It's been a while. I've been hankering for it. You or it's I? Timely. Either one of us. It would I fit think, both could, of us. It would fit that. the good movie moniker. Tell him Large Marge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he is the spleen. Uh, he notably was uh, cursed by an old witch. <laughs> uh, In my thinner plot line, yeah. spoilers for Sinister Six eventually. <laughs> but, you know, thinner's been on the deck, the docket for a while. Not in the pot, but cooking yeah. on the side. No, of course. Yeah. Uh, but he blamed an old witch for <laughs> farting while he was walking with his friends, and she put a curse on him uh, that he will always be the one who dealt it, and thus he has uh, super farting powers. And this was one of the moments where I looked over to Jonathan to see uh, what his face was doing. And yeah, I was grimacing, but in a good way. Yeah, in the big purple way. Yeah. Uh, and then he demonstrates this by... Snipe Precision farting. farting. And I went, my god, it feels like I'm watching a movie with Marcus Ebro Jr. again, because this is exactly <laughs> the schlock he would bring to this podcast to upset me, but I love you, Dad, so I'll let you have this one. Uh, the other, the rest of the group are not keen on having the spleen join them, but mm -hmm. he kind of just becomes the fifth member yeah. right there. Yeah. Uh, they decide to have a barbecue at <laughs> Uh, the shoveler's house because yeah. he has a pool mm -hmm. uh, and like and I it's one yeah, of it's the... cute everyone shows up it's like a John Waters yeah sequence and it's like one of the like what I think is like the I, like more charming lines because like it's they're working with like D tier superheroes where Invisible Boy is like yeah no if you if you grill up some burgers and yeah. have a few beers and have a pool everyone's gonna come everyone will show up yeah uh, and, and it's like the average Joes I'm like I get it everyone could be a hero it's giving me kick ass it's giving me yeah you know without the stakes <laughs> no of course but with literal stakes on the grill but, um, <laughs> but they they have this audition party the audition party <laughs> uh where like dane cook appears as the waffler i and then i was like you know the costume design's cool because like his shirt has like waffle iron burns on and i'm like someone cared about this enough to put these details in and that was actually uh a mistake because oh, <laughs> uh he Apparently, when they were writing this, the waffler was supposed to show up at the audition, and he his thing was being indecisive. Like yeah, he would like waffle he, back and forth. He would have yeah. super indecisiveness, mm. but then they the prop department just made him like a waffle, waffle costume, iron, which I think is that, better. Yeah. yeah, and it does work better. But then, you know, Doug Jones as Pencil Man and uh, <laughs> son, of, son of Pencil Man, and like the team doesn't want him because you know they don't want like a legacy superhero. Yeah. Uh, these two Wonder Women who get into a fight with each other, yeah. uh, and then, uh, you know, Ballerina Man. And Jennifer Lewis is like, if any of them fucking ball in my pool, piss in my pool. Yeah. It, like, it, Jennifer Lewis, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but the auditions do not go well, and, uh, they don't really find anyone who's yeah. worthy to join the team. Yep. Until Lindsay Ellis shows up. Yes. <laughs> I said, Jesus, like, has she referenced that before? That she looks exactly like Janine Garofalo? And sounds. Yeah. Like, they are, but I don't think she's ever referenced I think she that. might have. I need to go through her oeuvre again. But, uh... But, uh, Jean Garofalo shows up as the bowler. Uh, yeah, who I am endeared to, and it might be my Jean Garofalo standing, you know, uh, Wet Hot American Summer and of such. Of course. But, you know, she's a good point in this movie. I like her here. She she shows up. She impresses the group because she uh, <laughs> is able 
She has a bowling ball that mm. contains the skull of her dead father. <laughs> yeah, cool backstory. Who was a notorious Carmine, like yeah. uh, Carmine the Bowler. Mm-hmm. He, I think he was a. I think he was a like a local mobster or yeah, something. Makes sense. Janine uh, Garofalo with a name like that. But she can throw <laughs> the ball, and then the spirit of her father <laughs> yeah. takes control. It's cool. It's quirky. It's like yeah. a, a Venture Brothers power that's going on. Here. No, it is, yeah. and it or a or a JoJo stand. Yeah, it uh, and bad. it kind of flies around. But that's can, a question for a different day. <laughs> and it can collide with things, uh, so it's probably one of the most useful powers in the group. Uh, so then they, with this being settled as the team, they go, uh, they're driving around, they're going once again in the station wagon to go confront Casanova at his mansion, but instead they see uh, his limo, at least Casanova's limo, driving in the opposite direction. Yes. So they Let's chase get after him, girls. him, and basically by sheer luck... They surround the limo. Well, they and do a good job. They're each using their powers individually, cooperating together. I said, oh, there's something here. Semblance. I like this yeah, scene. This yeah. scene was good. They they just, they trash the outside of the limo. Uh, <laughs> like the spleen farts into the window. And still are on the top jumping on it. The shoveler is smashing dents into the side. Blue Raja is uh, scraping the it. Fire, yeah. um, and, you know, Gene Garofalo almost takes them out with the bowling ball. Yeah. But uh, that does get casanova's attention Mm -hmm. but he's pretty pissed that they're you know these vermin are interfering with his plan so they go to celebrate this this quote-unquote victory they go to a chinese (laughs) restaurant restaurant. good good choice Uh, we we get like a very we get some development like uh well i liked the interactions here because you see like um uh the bowler junior or or daughter of bowler whatever her name is just the bowler yeah uh, interacting with not the spleen who was she interacting with in that scene? She, well, mostly she's yelling at the spirit of her father, who yeah, only she yeah, can hear. So yeah. she's, like, bickering with her father about, like, making friends. Mm-hmm. But and they I, have, like, cute little one-offs together, too. And I'm like, oh, alright. She's like, you know, I've been thinking about, I don't know if she mentions grad school at this point or something. Yeah, later on she's like, but, Dad, I'm going back to grad she's, school. She's, like, discussing not... her life with people and, like, they have, like... Like, they get in fights, like, she does the whole thing, like, I know you are, but what am I? Yeah. With Ben Stiller and stuff. Yeah. So, I, like, I the, like the interactions between them. Yeah, no, and then they're 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 kind of bantering, Invisible Boy is doubting whether yeah. or not he actually has a power, but mm-hmm. the shoveler kind of encourages him and yeah. is like, you know, when you're ready, it'll, come. it'll happen. Yeah. Um, so then the, after celebrating with each other, they kind of head outside, mostly <laughs> drunk, <laughs> and the disco boys have cornered them and, and they're going been, to shoot them. It could have been amped up, like, more. Like, get them shit-faced. Yeah, Like, you could've. know, like, fucking slurring their words, vomiting. Yeah. I think, you know, Birds of Prey, love it. Mm-hmm. We love that movie on the podcast. I feel like that's an amped version of this. Like, the misfits banding together. I was going to make that comparison. It, it, it does it, feel yeah. apropos, yeah. It, it tracks, like, in terms of even structure, too, it, it really does track. So. And I think, you know, even I might bring Birds of Prey to good movie podcasts. We should. I thoroughly enjoy that movie, but, you know, you would have to not bring a superhero movie that week. Well, it, it doesn't <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't get the love that it should. Yeah. So we, we can we can showcase that Everyone at some I point. Everyone I met who I associate with loves it. For good reason. But uh, the Sphinx, another superhero, (laughs) arrives. Yeah, who was hailed about before. We knew his superpower going in. Which is to use his mind to cut guns in half. That's the only thing we see him do. But But, I mean, that'd be very effective in America, so. uh, So he saves them. He's very dark and mysterious. uh, And he kind of, you know... 
gets the idea in their head that they're that, that as they are, they don't stand a chance. From dances against... with wolves to this. Ex- yeah, it's it's oh. <laughs> it was a big yeah, drop. Hollywood. But... <laughs> Maybe it's not for me, Dan. I'll stick with the theater, a la Babylon. <laughs> but uh, so so the Sphinx starts to train the group. Uh, because he says, like, okay, you're going into battle against this yeah. villain, you need yeah. to be confident in yeah. yourselves. He speaks in, like, um, malapropisms, like, yeah. he switches them up, he's like, you know, if you don't believe in death, then death can't believe in you. And yes. It's very yeah. predictable, like, and I thought that wasn't, like, his trope at first. I was like, well, I could write every line that he's saying, and then I realized, oh, that's, like, his unique quirk thing. Yeah, and it's every, for. it's every line, that, like, they keep it consistent the mm-hmm. entire time, like, every dialogue scene he has is, yeah. is that. Yeah. Uh, but then we get, like, a training montage, mm-hmm. he kind of uh, encourages Blue Raja to not, like, to, to throw his cutlery from behind, yeah, like, Yeah, so no cloth, one can see where he's going. Instead of, like, telegraphing it. Yeah, and he says to the shoveler, like, you have other weapons, your fist. Yeah, you know, maybe you other know. things that Which could count as shovels. Which he didn't really use. He used, uh, he used a trough at one point. Yeah, he used another a thing trowel, that counts as a, a shovel. A dowel, a dowel, sorry. Uh, no, I think it's trowel, right? No, it's dowel. All right. I'm a gardener at heart, you know? <laughs> when we watch <laughs> Troll in Central Park, you'll see that. Oh god! You, you remember that movie? I do remember Jonathan that. Movie. Remembers that movie? Oh fucking troll! Oh, I'll bring it out. Park. I'll bring it out when you're at your lowest, Dad. That'll definitely be in the pot. Uh, well, I I probably deserve it at this mm. point, but uh, you know they're yeah. So the shoveler, he's encouraging uh, Mr. Furious. He's again in what I consider another funny-ish scene. Mm-hmm. He's having uh, Mr. Furious try to balance a tack hammer on his head. Yeah. To master, like, yeah. Yeah, decorum. But he's like, then why am I wearing these watermelons on my feet? And he's like, I didn't tell you to do that. And I turned to Dan and I was like, I I was getting real furious myself. I said, (laughs) young Dan must have been like, ah! Basically. And I'm sitting there deadpan the whole movie. Um, but finally, uh, the Sphinx is just having them... Make uh, their new costumes. And I was like, I can't wait for them to make these new costumes. Yeah. We see them. We see them them at the end. Yeah. And Mr. Furious is is very impatient. He doesn't want to wait to save Captain America because the clock is kind of ticking. And, you know, since his whole thing is getting pissed, he gets pissed and he, he storms <laughs> off. He's like, I'm not going to be part of this team anymore because you guys aren't, like, clearly he's he feels inferior to yeah. the Sphinx, who's yeah. like a cool mentor, mentor figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Mr. Furious storms off yeah. and... Uh, you know, the Sphinx points out that okay, you're you're short a man. Yeah, you but, need weapons. Yeah, wh- where you lack manpower, yeah. you need firepower. And then you know, Paul Rubens, uh, Blue Raja pulls out that card from the opening. And yeah, they got this mad scientist, Doctor Heller, <laughs> and they they go to meet Doctor Heller at Doctor A Heller. Doctor A Heller. <laughs> what is the A stand? The abandoned Supergirl <laughs> yeah, fairground. Honestly, I was like. Wouldn't that be cool if that was, like, the same set? It would be, yeah. Like, that would have been really cool if you, like, threw that and I would have been like, oh my god, it's like... Because, you know, I love Supergirl more than the average boy now. That was, like, your best pick. No, yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was the underdog, yeah. uh, you know, Dark Horse yeah. champion. You were if... trying to make lightning strike twice with this one, huh? No. Mm. This is... this. I think this movie is just more interesting than anything else. Mm. Yeah. But uh, in the future, I will be bringing... <laughs> classically I'm, good movies. I'm not to gonna the... snob because I'll have if I mean if we're allowed bad movies on good movie then there are oh, no rules. There are oh, no rules. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know they're kind of going through Dr. Heller's weapons and we also cut away to Mr. Furious and Monica where he finally 
asks her out yeah, just to, just to walk her home. And she's given like the stank face the whole time, which I mean, you would too if Ben Stiller asked you out. I would. Yeah. I would be acting the same way in this. Especially thing. like emo trench coat yeah. Ben Stiller. You're Trying not gonna... for like a new girl approach, not new girl. Two broke bitches. Is that the name of the show? Two broke girls. Oh, <laughs> was, the, I, was the honestly, I thought that was the name, but yeah, like that cat, yeah, they, they like a cat Dennings sort. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they're working at a diner yeah. or something. Two broke bitches. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be us. <laughs> What's that, that long-running two cheap bitches? <laughs> what did that <laughs> Was that on ABC? <laughs> that was, oh uh, no, that was a much No, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think that name would pass by the censors. <laughs> two pro bitches. But, uh, uh, back at Heller's lab, at first the group is kind of put off because everything that Dr. Heller makes, he's yeah. made a point, it's non-lethal. I'm like, we want to kill people which i'm assuming somewhere in some version of the script there was like an explanation that he didn't want to make like maybe he he didn't want to make like arms or something like that you know uh but he impresses them using a canned tornado (laughs) tornado this this cat in the hat nonsense going on here and he's got like the blame thrower which is a beam that makes people start fighting with each other which just uh like shrinks starches people's yeah. clothing and shrinks them. Well, no, it gets really uh, we'll get there. Well, yeah, but I we'll was like, there. "Oh, why is this here? This feels a little grody." No, and that's yeah. by all means cuz it's yeah. it, it is a it is a well, comedy, if, if but if they're going to do it, do it. Yeah. Like go whole hog the entire movie, but but I, they don't. No. It, and that's and that's No, it's like PG but not PG. Exactly. Like you it it, it obviously wouldn't you wouldn't market this to no, kids, I'm, but no. no one like everyone stops themselves from cursing. Yeah, it, it's like kind of like what Fantastic Mr. Fox does with the "I'm gonna cuss, go go cuss <laughs> off" and all that stuff. Yes. But then they have scenes like what we're going to get to, and it's mm-hmm. it kind of defeats that purpose. So I don't I don't know what the vibe was, yeah. but maybe. But again, maybe that was their thing of like, oh, superhero movies have no edge to them, but they have gratuitous mm-hmm. other shit. Um, but. Mr. Furious finally returns to the group, and he is still putting on airs. Like, yeah, he's, he's like, like, I... Like, I'm upset, did I leave my, uh... Address book? book? Yeah. It says, it's like, denim. hang in there with a cat. It's denim with a kitten on it, yeah. Um, and he's like, I would be super angry yeah. if, if you don't let me, if I wasn't on this mission, and... And I liked yeah. how the shoveler was, like, the father figure, because he obviously has kids. Yeah. And he's like, oh, alright, you know. It's yeah, chill. I understand I what's like, going on. Oh, all right, William H. Macy. Like, I don't feel bad that you're in this movie. <laughs> so then they kind of, uh, they drive, they, well, they sneak back into the Casanova Manor. The full team does. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, most of them. And, like, a lean. Warriors parody is going on inside. Where, yes. like, he's like, can you dig it, Casanova, to... He's assembled all of the villain yeah, groups. The know. frat boys. Yeah, the furriers. The furriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big smokes, or whatever you the call suits, them. Yeah, The suits. One of which is Big Tobacco. And then the OZs. <laughs> yeah. The Zetas. Something Zetas. Yeah, and then, like, the rhyme... The Ozempic Zetas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then rhyme time or something like that. <laughs> yeah, rhyme time, which with CeeLo Green, as yeah. Dad mentioned, I was like, uh-oh. Dan didn't hear the news. Uh, but basically he's assembled them all there because he's, you know, obviously planning to execute Captain Amazing and then unleash his doomsday weapon. They're on just the having a party. I mean, Captain Amazing's an asshole. Just he one less asshole in the world. I'd be fine with that. But uh, the team manages to break into the basement and they find yeah. Captain Amazing. And you take over this scene because it but was not a fave of mine. They are are kind of, you know, Captain Amazing is visibly, 
like, sweating and starting to panic, and he tries to talk them through flipping the correct switches to get him out of the Doomsday device. Toggles. Toggles, specifically. So then, you know, the bowler and Mr. Furious are fiddling with this machinery. They're like, Captain Amazing is shouting out, like, switch the toggle, switch the toggle, drop that other toggle twice. And I get there's a lot of SNL energy in this room. Yeah. Like, even um, Blue Raja's mom is an SNL person. I forget her name, but... Definitely. But she's been on there. And this felt like a bad SNL skit. It's like, how many times do you want me to toggle? You need to be more specific with that. I'm like, oh, enough already. Just I, no, I would shoot it, someone. It felt like like a like a bad Judd Apatow yeah. this, thing where it's all people talking yeah. at once. This was my lowest things. point in the in the movie. I was um, like, just kill him already. But again, it was like. I, I probably some level of improv in there. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not a fan of improv, but that's a fight that I'll pick we another do it day. Every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the spirit possesses me, I can do it for this yeah, podcast. That's but, true. Uh, but some yeah, of us so have to pull our weight. <laughs> but Blue Raja himself ends up just saying "fuck it." Yeah. He flips the switch. And Captain Amazing is vaporized. He's like, made an abyss. <laughs> yeah. Which we'll get to. He is made an abyss. I was like, my god, this is horrific. His, like, physical structure is unraveled and yeah. then exploded. Um, if you liked this, then just stay tuned for a couple weeks, ladies and gentlemen, because you'll be seeing kids going through this exact thing. And I think that, you know, probably especially to, like, younger me, because I had no idea about, like, when tropes would get subverted yeah. and, like, comedy things... And I'm like, oh, holy shit, the hero guy just died. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, one of the first times they played that for a joke in a movie like this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how often that was done beforehand. Um, but Captain Amazing is dead. Yeah. Uh, Gene Garofalo goes to check his pulse and his hand falls off, so he's definitely dead. I don't dead. think he's gonna make it through this, Dad. Um, and they, the, the group is like, shit, <laughs> and then they, <laughs> they, they run, run out. out. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, Casanova Frankenstein is kind of unfazed by Yeah, he's by like, look, his... I did it! <laughs> like, oh yeah, I guess he's Me. already dead. Yeah. But this is the, the psycho fraculator. What was his power? Is he just, like, a Lex Luthor type? Yeah, with, like, he's... sharp coke nails? <laughs> well, no, he's an evil genius with sharp coke nails. Okay. That's, that's really it. I mean, fine. Um, Whatever floats your boat. And I would assume, there's, like hints of a theme with him and the Disco Boys that they're, like, retro, because he's always wearing, like, a crushed velvet suit Mm -hmm. half the time. Um, But the group, you know, they they go back with with Heller, and they're ready to give up, because Captain Amazing is dead, and the villains are about to, like, basically destroy the city, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's nothing that they can do. And then the shoveler is making a very gross egg salad sandwich. I'm like, this is disgusting. It's all mayo. It's all mayo. He's got celery in there. It looks entirely white. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not an egg salad. That's a, That looks like cottage cheese, mama. And, uh, but the shoveler, once again, taking the team dad role yeah. is yeah. like, uh, you know, I could eat this sandwich. It's high in cholesterol. My wife doesn't like me eating this stuff. You know, I could send yeah. myself to an early grave. Or I could fight, like, you know, because this city needs us to fight. I could yeah. fight for all of them. And, you know, that's what that's what we need to do. We can't give up just because the odds are against us. Mm-hmm. And he's like, like, everyone's like, yeah, like, yeah, we can't give up. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they all kind of go their separate ways briefly to say, say goodbye, goodbye to their, to their loved, loved ones. ones. Yeah, and we only see three of our goofs. Yeah. It would be nice to see everyone. Like, what is the spleen's home life like? I don't know. I, you know? I mean, assume live alone, but... Yeah. It's gotta have something. But, like, you know, uh, 
the shoveler says goodbye to uh, his wife, <laughs> and he's like... Jennifer Lewis, Jennifer Dad. Lewis. Let her name escape your mouth. And she's like, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be here when you get home. <laughs> and, like, the camp of, like, the set design, as you said, like, yeah. the bedroom is, like, entirely, like... It's chi- like a John Waters it, thing. It, it's it, like... It, it, John Waters. Waters. <laughs> John Waters. Well, if you're bringing his movies, then that's gonna keep happening, I'm so. waiting, because the one I want to bring, Dan, is... I think it's gonna traumatize you. <laughs> There's a prolapse or two in that movie. <laughs> oh, that would be a first on the podcast. But... Oh, yeah, first prolapse for you, maybe. But the... <laughs> But yeah, no, like, they're living in, like, a retro yeah. futurist yeah, house. Yeah, and I'm like, it, I love this. This is, like, very hairspray. She's again, got the roller, like, unnecessary rollers in her hair. And there's all these, again, it's just for the amount of effort put into the sets. Yeah. It's like, yeah. even... I, I see that. Yeah. I noticed that. I appreciate it. Like, though. in the in the previous scene in the shoveler's household, he has, like, the trophy, trophy case of, of shovels. shovels. Yeah, and it's like, blink and you miss it, but even, I, I loved it. Even their refrigerator has, like, a stupid cyber, <laughs> like, uh, like, asteroid city yeah. 50s punk apparatus like like mm-hmm. all of this added detail yeah for something nobody's going yeah, no to one, watch no one but us um but he yeah so he says goodbye and he's like i have to do this because there wouldn't be a home to come back to if the villains win yeah. and then blue raja is uh you know he's caught by his mom taking all the silverware i loved this scene yeah. this is very cute it's like it comes in and it's like a very like coming out of the closet moment for <laughs> our our yeah. hero just and like he, he finally... i always knew you were special yeah and he's yeah. like I, I finally you know yeah. I, I i he does the accent for her yeah. and he's you know hank Without the accent, he's yeah. a competent actor. He I wish he did that more, but he, it's a shame that he gets typecast in everything that has a stupid accent. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Because and then in this, obviously for this character, he switches between that yeah. and like a like a his yeah. regular pathetic speaking yeah. voice. And she's like, um, "You need more forks." <laughs> And she Which takes was the him. quote of the episode for it's me. Like, this is your great great grandmother's <laughs> silverware. I was going to give it to you when you got married, but clearly that <laughs> ship is sailed. That's so going to be a like, long time coming. <laughs> yeah. So he's given like a new set of of cutlery mm-hmm. that belonged to his great great granny. And then they get a little creepy. She's like, "Do the accent again." Yeah, and, and I don't know what's going on there, mm. but it's like it was again bad Judd Apatow scene where we're drawing out yeah. the thing, the joke for as long as we can, and then it uh, Blue Raja heads off, yes. out. Uh, and then I think Mr. Furious also like says uh, There's a battle jitney or whatever. Oh no, he says he says a goodbye to Monica. Yeah. On like the steps, like, and he tells her his real name. Yeah. And the, the disco boys are watching. Yeah, and the whole thing is that he she doesn't like it when he puts on like a like a, a facade yeah. like he can't be dark and edgy all the time sometimes you have to just be honest and open with people so he he tells her his real name roy and you know that gets him the kiff yeah so they they he heads he heads off yeah but this is also giving mr furious his second mm-hmm. freak out in the span of like 15 minutes mm-hmm. Because now he's panicking because it's like, okay, yeah. maybe I am Roy. Maybe I am a nice dude without a, temp- super- like a temper. It's like, just punch people. It's fine. Yeah, and <laughs> he's like, maybe I don't have powers. Maybe I never had powers. There was a famous anecdote where he had lifted a city bus using the power yeah. of his rage. I was only giving it a push. Yeah, like the driver hit the gas at the last moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it looked like I was pushing it, but I didn't really, you know, do it all that well. Yeah. But either way, uh, Dr. Heller has kind of turned the battle jeep into a full-blown 
you know, superhero mobile. Mm-hmm. He equipped it with like a, a electromagnet. Um, and it, it's basically Betty ready to take them into <laughs> to battle. Yeah. So they they drive through. You know, the bowler is having these moments where she's trying to insult Mister Furious into getting angry again. She's like, "Your puns suck. Yeah. You don't do that right. You're not smart enough Your to pull off that humor. Yeah. Your penmanship is awful." Uh, the the Sphinx says that he dresses like a male prostitute, mm-hmm. and you know, Mister Furious is not getting mad because yeah. he's he's having his existential crisis. Yeah, and this causes um, Invisible Boy to doubt himself as well. Yeah, it's like, what if I can't really be invisible? Yeah. And they're like, no. But Once you uh, doubt your powers. So the the battle mystery mobile <laughs> crashes through. The... They're just having a party, Dad. They're just having a party. <laughs> They're just having a party. They're having like an end of the world yeah. party. And the mystery mobile crashes in through uh, Casanova, man- like the mansion's front. Yeah, and these villains are scared for their lives. They run away. Well, they start shooting. No. Oh. And then then uh, they activate the electromagnet to draw all their <laughs> guns in, uh, including. Uh, Casanova Frankenstein's artificial Coke fingers. Mm-hmm. He still has the regular ones, yeah. but uh, he they they flee into the disco room to take <laughs> shelter and behind an eye gun, ray yeah, like a thing. Zelda yeah. eye beam yeah. thing that Shoot vaporizes anyone yeah. who tries to come in. And Invisible Boy knows that it's his time to shine, so he has everyone look away. <laughs> He is able to fully turn invisible at the expense of his clothes, and he is able to get past the eye and disarm it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, we every, get, and then we get the gag. Everyone looks back. He's naked. Oh, whoever was like the first person in the '90s to to put that joke in a movie, they like struck gold. Yeah. In in terms of '90s comedies, that I don't think then, they get a paycheck every time it's in. Dan, and but. then making fun of Starbucks was like mm. there was something. Something in the air that, that was just making 90s writers just yeah. put that and everything. Yeah. But, yeah, so so he he proved himself. He's got powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they, they go into the next room where the... The furriers. The and, furriers and the are in there. Uh, and then they use the starch gun on them. Yeah, and it gets really sexual for a second. Yeah, it just it's shrink just like their clothes. clothes. They're shrinking. Which again would probably bump it into a PG. Like it felt like an Austin Powers yeah. thing. Like it felt like the like, uh, the, the fembots. Yeah. yeah, and which is like okay, if the movie has been mostly kitty up until this mm-hmm. point, then why put that in? Yeah. Um, and everyone's like, oh, look at that ass. But uh, they, you know, they get past them. They use the blame. Uh, the blame thrower <laughs> to distract CeeLo Green's gang, mm-hmm. uh, and then they like take out Big Tobacco. Um, with I think another one of the gadgets, yeah. but most of the bad guys have been dispatched. Mm-hmm. I think the frat guys are the only ones who remain. Well, Paul Rubens gets shot in the ass. He does get shot in the ass, yeah. but then he takes out the. He's got to. Oh, I got to test the the equipment, and then mm-hmm. he farts and takes out the rest of the suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, when they they've cornered Casanova Frankenstein, <laughs> he's activating his doomsday device, mm-hmm. uh, and he also has it's revealed Monica as a hostage. Wow, who could have saw that coming, Dan? And he's like, you know, got the nail in her face, scratch, like drawing. God, Monica, where's Chandler? Where's Phoebe? It was the it was a peak nineties. So, <laughs> but and then there's like a whole thing where he electrifies the stairs going up to yeah, him. I killed my own men. Like, see, that's the holds you superheroes back because okay. you care too much. It's like, all right, whatever. But you know, Mister Furious. Is determined to save Monica Tries and to climb the wall. Blue Raja uses his great great grandma's silverware yeah. to provide like a makeshift ladder. 
so that Mr. Furious can get up there. Mm -hmm. And in this confrontation, uh, Mr. Furious is is finally pissed off too yeah. much. Yeah. As it turns out, he does have superpowers. Me looking at the movie length. <laughs> yeah, and and he he finally activates his full fury and gets super strength and super speed. Uh, he he defeats Casanova Frankenstein, and Palpatine throws him into the psycho fraculator device. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the, the device is still activated. It's still this body horror occurs, like yeah. distorting into yeah. this, like the city, and it's like people are presumably going to start dying if they don't stop the device yeah. somehow. Um, but then Mister Furious kind of regroups with them, and in contrast to his previous hang up, he's like, "We're all going to do a group hug." Yeah. So they use that to shield themselves and maneuver the bowler closer to the machine, so that she can throw her dad Carmine. bowling yeah. ball into the pit. Yeah. And Saying, after this, <laughs> I'm going to grad school, <laughs> and uh, the the Doomsday device is destroyed via the bowling ball. Who does survive? And then the, Janine Garoppolo's eye pops out for a second. I'm like, oh no! Well, yeah. The closer she gets to yeah. the field of the of the laser beam, it like distorts her face. And you're like, oh, oh shit! Yeah. Um, but she is fine, and the bowling ball is fine too. Uh, but the group escapes as the mansion just implodes yeah. from the yeah. weapon back, like the Lysander beam mm -hmm. firing back at itself. Yes. Uh, and the next day, you know, the the news crew is out front. They're wondering, you know, who are these superheroes that have saved the day? They seem to be new on the scene, uh, and they're all like squabbling about what they should call themselves. Mm -hmm. While the news crew is like, well, we know that we should give these mystery men a, a debt of gratitude. And that's, you know, the joke being that they don't even figure it out then. And the Sphinx is like, oh, we're going to be the super squad. Yeah. And then All-Star plays just like it does at the end of Shrek. <sighs> and that is, that is mystery men. I don't think they're going to be returning anytime soon. Not going to be returning. But, but I'd be happy for you if they did. Yeah. 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 So, to be clear. Mm-hmm. I think that this movie has a little too much effort put into it to be a Sinister Six pick. Okay. I would say that when... I don't feel that. But okay. No, uh, but it, 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 explain why, if just, you will. I just don't, Dad. I, I don't think good set design, good costume design, and good individual character banter mm -hmm. in some scenes can save a movie. Okay. It felt more Sinister Six. It felt like the veins. If Supergirl is better than the movie... Supergirl deserved to be a good movie okay, podcast. Okay, okay. That's going to be my litmus for everything. If Supergirl is better than it, well, again, in the future, I intend to bring more classically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to yuck your young. I'm just giving my my but opinion. I sincerely think that this is a, at the very least, an okay movie. Yeah, I and, think that people should check it out. And if anything, this has inspired me because now I have a good movie. In the realm of my life, mm -hmm. that I think you're going to think is a bad movie. Okay. So I think down the line somewhere, I'll mention when it comes up, mm -hmm. but I think I have like the exact opposed film for this. I I, yeah. I mean, we, we always seem to operate that way. Yeah. So it, it, like, but my main thing is that it, this is just like a, I think the fact that it has somewhat of a cult following and that Alamo Drafthouse does screenings of mm -hmm. it. Speaks to some kind of connection people there. had to it. Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, they do that for a lot of unintentionally shit movies mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not... It's probably not a great litmus test. Yeah. Um, 
but again, I just feel like it's such a bizarre little time capsule where it's making yeah. fun of... Something a, that didn't exist yet. Yeah, well, no, something that doesn't exist anymore. Something that literally had just come into existence mm-hmm. and then collapsed after yeah. Batman and Robin pissed everyone yeah. off. It's nowhere near the worst thing we've watched on this podcast. Well, I, I would, we, we I would hope not. Popeyes, so. uh, no, of course. And, and I would... But I, I would, in some ways... Compare this to Popeye, because Popeye had a shitload of effort put yeah, into money, that set. Money, 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 Robert Altman. Yep. They constructed the entire friggin' Popeye town. Yeah, universe. And, and, you know, without focusing so much on the story or whatever as much as they should have. You have to give Popeye a rewatch. You know, and I would argue <laughs> that this is, is something kind of similar. I would never, I would personally never deign to throw it into the pot because I don't want people to think it's a bad movie. Oh, but it's okay. probably not a... It's probably not a good movie either. Mm. It's probably a, it's a harm- big movie. It's a harmless movie, yeah. I would think. So uh, you know, if you're interested to see maybe where the the cultural zeitgeist was on superhero movies coming mm-hmm. out of the old millennium, check out Mystery Men. Yeah, it has a fan base. It has you know there are people out there who have discussed it to some capacity, it, it, but not enough, I think. Mm. So. I, I encourage folks to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, how many Pepsi logos would you give to this film? Mm, out of what? Out of out of five. Five. Be honest. Three. That seemed you seemed to choke on your words there. No, three. Three. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely okay. three. I I will give it four. Okay. For the reasons I stated mm-hmm. in this rewatch, we noticed a lot of technical problems. Like there's one part where their mics yeah, wrong. There's two scenes where their mics are just off. Like, yeah, and I'm like, what's going on here? Like a lot of stock sound effects. You're which... filming on an outdoor set just to fucking get the mics on. If The Bachelor can do it on ABC for like a '90s comedy, the things like the stock sound effects are like yeah. okay, you know, but. For everything like that, there's... Giving me Scooby-Doo. Like, competent stunts, there's, you know... And I think it's just visually such a... I don't know, interesting movie. A treat. That maybe with some tightening of that third act, and maybe going in a more unexpected direction, like, you know... Maybe the way Captain Amazing's death is framed, or Mm -hmm. something like that. Just... I think a little bit more in this movie could have been remembered much more fondly. Like I said, I think yeah. they should have picked a lane and, like, ran down at full speed. Yes. Or thrown a ball, a bowling ball yeah. down a yeah. lane, yeah. perhaps. Hit a strike, maybe. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, this was just a 7-10 split. Uh, okay. <laughs> See, that's that wit we've been talking about. <laughs> Improv. The horrible little 3D... Yes, and. 3D animation of the Gundam bowling pins collapsing. No, I was going to say of the bowling pin, like, shooting the other bowling pin through the head. That was, like, a meme a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, we'll be ten months behind the time at this point, but whatever. But, at the very least, I hope you found it interesting. Yes. Uh, Yes, I did. I I saw more into the Dan Ryan psyche today, and I always like to... And this was a... a, Naval gaze. A weirdly... This movie has always stayed with me. As, yeah, and I, I like, think that's what the good movie podcast does. Yeah. All right, so if anything, 
Anyone can lambast us. It's the movies that stayed with us that we consider good. No, exactly. I like that, and and I I like I I would hope that that is what we use good movie podcast yeah. for. We All don't. Right. We're not going to clown as hard as we would on a Sinister well, Six pick. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I bit my tongue a couple times, tonight. but it, it's the I I think that it can be equal parts critical acclaim, but yeah. also hidden gems that we love, and yes. I I certainly count. Yeah, this like among that. like I said, you you've unlocked. You know, another yeah. weapon in my holster. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. But but again, for context, I saw this on TV, and then for ye- like in the successive years when things like The Incredibles and things like, uh, 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 what is it, like Megamind and, mm-hmm. and uh, The Boys and everything Minions, else, yeah. my mind always <laughs> drifted back to this movie. And I'm like, oh, there was like a weird-ass comedy mm-hmm. in the 90s that, that parodied all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And it's it, it it's, you know... I don't know. It, 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 at the very least, it's more memorable than something like superhero movie. Yeah. It, it kind of has its own identity because there's just enough effort put into it where it doesn't fall into like those Seltzer and Friedberg parody movies mm-hmm. that we that kind of killed that genre for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So again, wholeheartedly recommend checking it out. All just right. be careful that the Blu-ray doesn't overheat Heat in the your process. PS5 so. and burn your house down. Because yeah. it's ancient. It's yeah. not getting a Criterion release. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know if my PS5 can handle another one of those, yeah. but sure, why not? Yeah. Alright, well with that, Dan, a good movie podcast has come to adjourn. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere that our audience can find us on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, tw- Twitter, and threads <laughs> at King underscore Danis, where I'll be posting some artwork soon. Twitter? Uh, what's that? You mean X? X. Uh, huh. Psychofranculator is probably in the works. Cascasay! But, uh... <laughs> and then our adjacent anime was not a mistake podcast accounts. Facebook, can, on Facebook and other places. You can find me, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, at Instagram at LosingMyMindJK, on a TikTok at LosingMyMindJK, and on X at DrinkAndReadJK. Mm-hmm. Along with our other social media platforms. Um, just an amendment, amen, amendment, an addendum to my good movie podcast <laughs> quote that I left you with all those episodes ago I said we're all gonna laugh at you <laughs> hey that's that's closer than you think so just leave that be but um an addendum is I said goodbye love goodbye happiness mm-hmm. it's actually the quote is goodbye life goodbye happiness okay for my next good movie pick somewhere down the line but we'll be getting to that another date. Of mm-hmm. course, we have an anime series to finish next yeah. week. Yeah, we got a lot of anime coming, so. Yeah, that's going to be Princess Jellyfish Part 2. Mm-hmm. We're going to see how Tsukimi adapts to her new life. Of course. You know. I do hope that things work out. Yeah, they're all going to die in the end, I'm sure, man. <laughs> in an anime type <laughs> Princess Jellyfish, they're all going to die. I, I don't, I, you never know. You, yeah, you do never know. You've steered me in, in uh, marvelous <laughs> directions before, so, you know. All I know is that five episodes of Princess Jellyfish finishing the series next week. See you then. Indeed. Indeed. Junk it. <laughs> Junk it. What's better than a bad movie? Well, sometimes a good movie, of course. And here on Good Movie Podcast, Dan, Jonathan, and maybe even a couple of guests talk about the movies that made them. Think of this as a once-in-a-while, more casual discussion on the details and nuances of films we love. And more of an after-movie chat with Nicole Kidman in the AMC ad. 
That's the kind of vibe we're going for here. As always, the Anime Was Not a Mistake family appreciates the loyal listeners like you. Thank you. If you want to join the conversation, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Anime Was Not a Mistake or our personal social media accounts that we mention at the end of the episode. With that, we'll let the music play us out. Thanks as always, and remember to ask yourself, what makes a good movie good?